This is your host, Chris Graft, with a quick note for our listeners. This podcast was recorded about a week prior to GDC 2020's postponement. Thanks so much for your support, and stay safe and healthy out there. On GDC Podcast Episode 7, we've got Dave Lang, a tall guy with cool baseball hats who is Chief Product Officer at Iron Galaxy Studios. Uh, he's going to talk about game development in the 2000s, the Chicago game dev scene, the video game porting business, and much, much more. We'll be back in a sec. And we're back. And it seems that we have found Alyssa McAloon after... uh, (laughs) After her being um, missing in action uh, for an entire month. I was going to try to figure out what the in-canon reason for me not being around last week was, but I haven't listened to the episode yet. Uh, <laughs> oh, I mean, to find the, out. yeah, it is canon that, I mean, it's the truth. The truth is canon. You were having your apartment building recited. And when yeah. I say you did that, you were the one who uh, actually um, made the order for the Yep, the and reciting. I've been out there with the ladder and just yelling at myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Work faster, yeah. And it turns out it's really hard to podcast (laughs) when you're in a construction zone, and especially when you're a construction worker. Is that right? Yeah, they're still not done with it. Uh, So I was like, as we were approaching the time, I was like staring out the window, being like, going to come hammer on the wall next to my office again? (laughs) You going to do it? And they're staying away. They're very kind. Apparently, GDC podcast fans. So thank you to the construction team at my apartment building. That's what I find. Yeah, that's what I find missing among, uh, you know, contractors these days is the respect for the podcast. (laughs) <laughs> good game development techniques and, but, and yeah. contracting. It's, yeah. Well, they sound like a good crew, Alyssa. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, oh, yeah. it's nice to have you back. Um, Thank you. We got rid of that Alex guy whose last name we never did reveal. <laughs> he might be back if the uh, the sighting continues. That Alex, a Alex, someone's Alex. Yeah. So uh, let's do uh, let's do some morning announcements here, right? Uh, G- what's what's going on? Uh, <laughs> what's going on? Uh, GDC. I want like the is it Ferris Bueller with a dun 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 before they do the morning announcements at the high school. Um, oh yeah, we like need kinda, that. Yeah, can you edit that in? Yeah. Uh, let me find my links here um, for the Pioneer Award at GDC 2020. Um, they've announced that Roberto Wil- Williams is receiving that award. Yeah. Uh, at the GDCAs during GDC. Did you say Roberto? Ro- Roberta? I'm, Roberta? Ro- I'm, bad yeah, with, I'm Roberta. so bad with pronouncing names. I don't know why this is my job right now. <laughs> Who's Roberto Williams? Uh, Known for uh, Kang's Quest. Oh my gosh. Okay. So you no, can okay. handle that one because I can't talk today. <laughs> no, no, you're you're fine. I, I can't either. I can't believe words are able to spill out of my mouth right, right now, honestly. <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, Roberta Williams... Pioneer, Pioneer Award because she did uh, amazing stuff throughout her career with all the adventure games. Did you ever play any of uh, Roberta Williams' adventure <sighs> games from Sierra Online? Oh, shoot. Yes, I have. Uh, mm-hmm. I didn't... I'm very bad at connecting name dots. Uh, Sierra Online liked to find my childhood with weird adventure games that I didn't quite understand how weird they were at the time. Uh-huh. Um, what's it? Mixed up fairy tales. I never played uh, King's Quest, but there was a uh-huh. Sierra Online one about fairy tales that was really like dark actually that was great and gave me nightmares um there's another one pepper's adventures in time i think was a sierra online game where you time traveled back and hung out with a stoner ben franklin um that one was also super dark and gave me nightmares so 
Wait, are you sure that this was a game? Well, you went back in time and you met Ben Franklin? It could have. Maybe I'm just like getting all my time travel memories and compartmentalizing them so they mm-hmm. make sense to my child brain as, oh, it was a video game. But... Yeah, yeah. Well, that happens to me sometimes too. <laughs> Roberto. Uh, so uh, let's let's start getting our next guest in. Uh, he, he's just kind of hanging, hanging back here. Uh, our it, was, next... it was tough to sit oh. back with the Roberto Williams talk, by the way. <laughs> I have some Roberto Williams opinions. Uh, <laughs> there he is. There, best, there he is. Best game bar none, in my humble opinion, is Gabriel Knight. That's the best Roberto Williams game. <laughs> yeah. Um, that there was also, I, I remember, wait, let me, damn it, let me introduce you. Okay, sorry. This, you're completely breaking protocol. That's my job. <laughs> As chief product officer. Right, I, okay. I, I, I could get a stab at it and just put the accent on the wrong vowel, see where that goes. <laughs> Okay, yeah, let's try it. Okay, uh, now, uh, now our next guest, he cut his teeth as a game programmer in the 90s. If I get any of this stuff wrong, uh, we're going to have to edit Wikipedia. Uh, <laughs> uh, was studio tech director at Midway, uh, where he uh, oversaw games, including Stranglehold. And then he went on to found Chicago-based Iron Galaxy Studios, known for games like Killer Instinct and their amazing ports of video games. It is Dave... Lange? Close, very close. It's 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 Dav Lange. <laughs> okay, thank you. You almost Dov. nailed it. You almost nailed it. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for joining us today. No, thank uh, you for the pl- it's my pleasure's all mine. <laughs> all right. uh, I love your work, Christ. <laughs> now let's now now before we get in, like let's let, let's talk about uh Robert, Roberto. Now I'm going to say Roberto. <laughs> Robert, Roberto Williams stuff. Uh like, what was your strong opinion there again, Dave? Uh, Gabriel Knight series is without a doubt her best work, I believe. Yeah, I'm almost certain she worked on those games. I'm almost certain. I wasn't. I was gonna Google it when you were talking to make sure I don't sound like an idiot, but I didn't want to hear a clackety clack in the background. I want to respect <laughs> podcast etiquette. So respect. at the risk of being at the risk of being wrong in a podcast, I'm gonna stir- strongly say those are her best games. If the apartment building reciters can just back off for a minute, you can refrain from tapping on your keyboard. I can open loudly. the window. Maybe they can shout in their favorite game too. Just kind of get yeah. the whole experience. Yeah. Yeah. I was working at GameStop when. Phantasmagoria came out, and that was like a big deal because there were some uh, adult scenes in uh, that, and it was FMV and, and stuff. I never uh, played that one. That's one I skipped. I, I didn't play it, but uh, I did see the box on the shelf while working at GameStop. I'm going to minorly derail the conversation to embarrass myself on the podcast quickly. You're going to derail the derailment. Derail the derailment. Um, on the topic of mispronouncing names, just to get the ground nice and even here uh, with my own name, which is Alyssa, I got mm-hmm. my hair done over the weekend. And when I introduced myself to the woman dyeing my hair for four hours, mm-hmm. uh, didn't say my name, but she knew me from the invite. And she's like, oh, good to see you, Allison. Yeah. Nice. I did, in that moment, I did not correct her. Um, and then for the next four hours, it was like too late. <laughs> So I sat in the chair being called the yeah. wrong name because this is, no, this is the hole I dug for myself. There's a certain, like, how long do you think you're allowed to let, like, what is the window for correcting someone on your name? Because I have, I, my full name is, is Christian with a K. Yeah. So when people see it, like, on my credit card, they're like, here you go, Kristen. And, like, you know, that's fine. It's, it's Christian. <laughs> it, it happens. <laughs> yeah. But if you don't say anything in, like, those three seconds, anything longer than that, it's weird. Anything like longer than that, you, you go think and you the start window is three seconds? Name. It's like, it feels like Dave, 20. What do you, Dave, what do you think? So I definitely shouldn't correct my title 
at this point, right? <laughs> oh no, oh. you've got a new job now. Okay, oh. I'm, a, I'm now chief product officer. We nailed it, crushed it. Oh yeah, we we got. We, wait, your product project? No, oh, I, I'm 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 titled just founder. Okay, just founder. Just founder. So it's not product. No, no, no. It's not chief. It's not product, and it's not officer. It's My not, title. It's not, oh, jeez. For for a while, officer. I was calling myself C three PO for a while. Um, <laughs> I was going to make that joke until I looked on your LinkedIn and you had already made the joke. Yeah, because I was I was CEO, and then we brought Adam in to be CEO. I'm like, well, I need a title now, and I don't care about titles at all, but people I talk to do, and it should have a C in front of it, I guess. And so I was calling mm-hmm. myself C-3PO, and it just confused the shit out of everyone. So <laughs> I've subsequently reverted to founder. Now, when you say Adam, you're talking about Adam Boys. Yes, Adam T. Boys Esquire. <laughs> Adam T. Boys Esquire. Uh, who, I actually who, have uh, no idea what his middle name is. I, that was, <laughs> he looks like a T, though. Yeah, probably Todd. Yeah. Probably stands for Todd. Terry Terry. Adam yeah. Terry Boys. That's a horrible name. That sounds yeah. right. Yeah. So, so all of... <laughs> I, had, I, had to, I had to Google CPO. Like and I got all kinds of uh, results for it. Procurement. So where the, where that probably came from is when we did the flip. So I was the uh, CEO and Chelsea was our uh, director of product development. Now you founded Iron Galaxy in two thousand eight. Two thousand eight, right? Yeah. And then Chelsea joined me in twenty ten, I believe, in December twenty ten, something like that. And uh, she's been along for the ride almost the whole time. She's like employee number thirteen. And then when we brought Adam on board to be CEO, CEO I want to make Chelsea uh, the C-suite too at that point. And mm-hmm. so at that point, she became CPO, which was our chief product officer. And then after about a year of that, she's like, it doesn't really encapsulate what I actually do. I'm just going to be COO. Everyone knows what that is. No one asks me any questions about COO. And then you be founder, and then we'll call it a day. And that's what we settled on. So and there's a lot of confusion around the C-suite at Iron Galaxy. <laughs> Are you still considered a C-suite executive, even though there's no C? I believe technically I'm above the C-suite in most oh, people's wow. minds. Yeah, I believe founder, uh, you know, there's two kinds of founders. Yeah. There's the founders who are still there and the quote-unquote power behind the throne and the yeah. people that actually get shit done. And then there's the founders who are had to get out of the company because they said something racist on Twitter. <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm definitely not the latter yet. That's not you, though. Yeah, not Congratulations. yet. Congratulations. Yeah, I mean, dodge another bullet every day, you know? Um, but so I'm still the first one, I hope, uh, anyway. Yeah, I mean, uh, so basically, I'm not sure what you do. You're, 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 the, you're the very yeah. upper tier of your company, but you still got stuck doing the podcast. Yeah, so you know what? I, I'm a podcasting person. I love podcasts. I have my own podcast, in fact. Oh yeah, what's it about? Yeah. It's, it's not. It's it's kind of like the Seinfeld of podcast. It's not really about anything. It's okay. just me and my friends talking. Actually, you know what? Recently, so I recently launched season three, and season three we're doing uh, game development origin stories. So Ooh. I tracked down game developers and I talked to them about how they got into the business. Have and, you uh, talked to anyone about origins? Like, have you heard an, an interesting one yet? Um, the best one I heard, so I'm going with people I know just to see if the concept works mm-hmm. and it definitely works. The best one I've had in the podcast so far that I already knew is John Vignocchi. Uh, his, is oh, the yeah. best, his is the best by far. He basically, uh, pre internet stalked Mark Turmel, uh, mm-hmm. and got a job just by stalking Mark Turmel. It was amazing. So that's, that's great. And also yeah. these, these names, uh, you've been around the block. You've, yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. You st- when did you start uh, game development? So I started professionally in, uh, my first job was January 96 at Sculptured Software. Um, Sculptured Software was a very prolific 16-bit uh, developer, like they did the Genesis version of Mortal Kombat. 
mm-hmm. right that everyone loves and it's like the yeah amazing they, they were a porthouse um did a lot of stuff and then they got bought by a claim like actually right before i got there and about after my i worked at the space gym first for the saturn and then i worked on a game called nhl breakaway for the n64 and as breakaway was happening uh all of the leadership team got fired by a claim mm. and they went off and started a new studio so called kodiak interactive so I finished uh, the hockey game there and then quit and went and worked on WCW Mayhem and then WCW, WCW Backstage Assault uh, at Kodiak. And then um, those games didn't really turn out the way anyone wanted. And so that studio started to close kind of dramatically. Uh, at the time, I was working on a baseball game for Kodiak, but Microsoft contracted Kodiak to do it. And when Kodiak folded kind of overnight, um, I ended up at the Microsoft Salt Lake studio to finish that game out. Mm-hmm. And I hated that job. That job was horrible. Oh, yeah? Um, what yeah, was so bad about it? It was just not a good fit for me. Uh, yeah. Like, just like, gosh, I don't want to, like, <laughs> I can't. Im- I can't imagine any, not, any, something not, not fitting your It's weird, right? Yeah, yeah, it's really weird. Like, like that place was, like, um, so I was, like, it was a really well-established and fabled, like, uh, game. Like, they did Tex Murphy, right? They did the oh, Lynx. Yeah. They did the Lynx games. So, like, they were a great developer that made a bunch of great games. But um, I guess, like, there's no really kind of clean way to say this. But just, yeah, I just I wasn't a fit. I guess that's the, that's the best way to say it. Mm-hmm. And I was there for about two years and finished the baseball game. And then they're kind of like, hey, there's probably not another game for you to work on here, wink, wink. Um, <laughs> and, so, and so at the time, my wife is like, hey, let's have a, let's have a family. Let's go back home. And so originally from Chicago. Mm-hmm. And so I uh, went back and I interviewed with New FX, who became EA Chicago, and I interviewed at Midway, and I didn't really want to work at either place, because like, this was like the Fat Babies era, right? Mm-hmm. And like, going to Midway sounded like the worst job in the fucking world, right? <laughs> and I just swore. I said I wasn't going to swear, and I just swore. <laughs> Perfect. It's 15 um, minutes now. in, yeah. The yeah. floodgates are open. <laughs> and uh, just rip, rip the band-aid right off. Yeah. But I ended up going to Midway, and it ended up being like the best decision I've made to that point in my career for sure and uh i met a ton of talented people and worked on tons of cool things and uh just learned a lot about game development there yeah i'd like to talk about the midway days because um i was i I started reporting on the industry in late 2005 and then a few years later like uh you know shit started really hitting the fan yeah yeah. at, at midway can you talk about you know, like any interesting stories there? Like that was, it seems like a tumultuous time. There's like a revolving door of CEOs. Yeah. I mean, there's literally like no, what, what variety of story would you like? I mean, there's like, what, what kind of category? Cause what I've got a, like a mafia involved story. Okay. So <laughs> what? I've got, I've got one of those. So there was always rumors that Midway was like the, the CEO at the time was a guy named Neil DeCastro. Right. Mm-hmm. And there was always rumors that he was had mafia ties or was in the mafia or whatever. And I didn't believe any of them or mm-hmm. whatever. I like just like, oh, that's stupid. Like, there's no way. Like, it doesn't make any sense. And then, you know, my first week at Midway, and Midway was a weird place. It was like, if you weren't at Midway like 30 years, like, you just, you, they treat you like you just got there and you never had a job <laughs> before. And so the first week, like, no one talked to me. And I went to lunch by myself and I found this little kind of sandwich shop, like, right around the corner from there. And I go in there, I order a sandwich, and the guy's like, hey, you look like you probably work at Midway. And I go, yeah, I just started. He goes, real family business they got going over there, huh? (laughs) And I shit my pants on the spot. (laughs) 
and I'm like, what have I done? Like, is this for real? You're is this in, a thing? Yeah. And then it's, the whole time yeah. I was there, I never heard another mafia reference. The whole time I was there, yeah. but the oh, first week I was, I was scared. I was scared. That's terrifying. That's great, though. Yeah. I mean, it's like blood in, blood out, right? Yeah, I was like, yeah. I was like, at this point, I'm expecting like, I'm gonna be like, you know, digging shell graves for people in the middle of Wrigley Field and burying people <laughs> at the pitcher's mound. Like, I'm having visions of what's going down for me in my future, and uh, none of it ended up happening. But it was pretty so, weird. So the sandwich, the sandwich person, I, I caught in your story that said you look like someone that works at Midway. Yes. Why, why did you look like? Uh, because like? so Midway at the time was in a, um, let's just say it was it was in a, uh, a very diverse neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a lot of Hispanic influences, a lot of Asian influences, and there weren't a lot of people that looked like me, aka huge white guys, tall, tall white boys, <laughs> right? That kind of live that are like endemic to that region, right? Mm-hmm. And so yeah. uh, if one walks in. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's probably a Midway person, and sure enough, they, they guessed it correctly. There, yeah, they're there. Yeah. Now, yeah. like, there was also the whole – sorry, I, I slightly nerd out about some of this old, no, it's all older good. stuff. But, like, w- you were there as studio tech director, and I remember something going on, trying to – like a big deal near the end, making the switch to Unreal Engine 3. Yeah, so when I started, I started as – the I was the lead on Slugfest Loaded. That was my first mm-hmm. thing there. And then I was the lead on Blitz the League. And then I spent like six months as tech director for all sports games. And then I got promoted to st- a studio tech director. And about the time I was sports game tech director, Midway was on renderware at the time. Pretty much everyone mm-hmm. was on renderware of some f- form or function. And Midway kind of made a strategic decision to switch to Unreal 3. Yeah. And thinking, it's like, okay, so here's the way it's going to work is like, we'll be able to share engines for the first time and share experiences. And like if a if game team A writes something cool, game team B, C, D, and E will benefit from it, mm-hmm. and all these synergies that um, seem theoretical if you've never made a game before um, yeah. seem theoretically possible. Um, and yeah, and so it basically everyone, like you know, uh, Stranglehold was um, oh gosh, what was the name of that game? It was the Bra- it was the, like the telekinesis game. Psyops. Oh, uh, mm-hmm. So it's like Psyops, they had to ditch their engine to go. MK ditched their engine to go Unreal. Pretty much everyone that had like established franchises. In the middle was of having, projects yeah, and right. series. And, yeah. and then they came to the sports teams to do it. And the sports teams were like, well, no, our budget for the game is like, like the whole budget for Blitz the League 1 was $8 million. Like <laughs> if we wanted to like rebuild a game, and that's because that only works because we had like, years and years of blitz already there right and we had yeah. to like oh what's new for this year or whatever if we like i'm telling you if we have to switch to unreal 3 it's a 20 million dollar game and like it doesn't make sense i'm like exactly right like let's just leave it as renderware so aside from the sports games everything was ue3 by the time the doors closed at midway mm, yeah yeah it's one of those things that you know it makes sense on paper uh to an executive right and yeah it's a funny yeah. though without them doing that experience like iron galaxy doesn't exist today because mm. like one of my duties um, as studio tech director, so there was the uh, core technology group, which was in the Austin studio, but every studio had an advanced technology group, and it was a room full of engineers, basically, and we were kind of tasked with, like, the lofty goals I talked about earlier, like, hey, if uh, the Wheelman team builds a crowd system, now every team can use it, and the mm-hmm. ATG team's job is to, like, distribute that or work on the tool, make the tool chain better, make the particle uh, effects editor better, make the UI system better or whatever, then everyone benefits. But really what we ended up doing was just fixing bugs, improving performance, 
working on you know RAM considerations or whatever for the next game out the door. And so it was a room full of 25 really good engineers, and all we were doing was firefighting for the next midway game coming out the door. Yeah. And as things started to disintegrate there, and it was clear, like, you know, I don't know what's going to happen, but it's going to be dramatic. Um, mm-hmm. I kind of realized, like, we have a room full of 25 people here just doing this for midway. Like, we could do this freelance, I bet, and make some coin doing it and run a business. And it was shortly after that realization that I kind of punched out of there and started exactly that business. That's cool. Yeah, that kind of brings us to Iron Iron Galaxy, which is, you know, it's immersed itself in porting and work for hire stuff and tech consulting. But, you you know, you also do publishing and you work on franchises like Killer Instinct. I know that, you know, original IP is uh, probably, you know, in the cards, uh, on the cards for you. Um, But can you tell me about uh, you know the affinity for the tech side. Is it just because of your background, or is it like a job stability thing? You know, having yeah. you work for higher stuff. It's a how how long do you want me to talk about this for? I want I, you to talk for about <laughs> three minutes. Okay, no, no I, as long as you want. Yeah, I, I can. I've got multiple versions of the story. I have a three minute version. You're in luck. Okay, um, starting now. Okay, so <laughs> uh, basically, the reason Iron Galaxy exists is. Um, you know, I had the opportunity that I saw with the things happening, but like that's not the reason we did it. Like the reason we did it is I'd been at so many companies that had had kind of closed overnight on me. Like you know, Sculptured kicked out the management. It wasn't the company I loved anymore. Kodiak literally closed overnight on me. Microsoft, right, a company with like ten billion in the bank, told me I'm not welcome there anymore. Essentially, I need to find a new job. Midway disintegrated around me. Like you know, it's like no place is safe. And I just wanted to build a game developer where I could work with my friends until I was done making games. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I want to build a place that we can retire from if we want to retire from. And um, so stability is the thing we care about most in the world. And as such, we tend to work on a bunch of projects at once and a bunch of varieties of projects at once. And so, you know, we started off doing kind of just tech consulting, like kind of like firefighting stuff. Then we branched into doing ports, and then we branched into doing original development. And kind of our um, our uh, portfolio now, ideally, we've got like one really big kind of creative project in the works, right? Whether it's Killer Instinct or Extinction or whatever's next for us, which we can't talk about quite yet. Mm-hmm. We're doing some ports, you know, like we've worked on. We helped Blizzard do Overwatch, Diablo 3. Uh, we've helped with Skyrim switch port with Bethesda. And we're still doing a lot of co-development and uh, like we have people embedded on teams at Bethesda and Blizzard and other places I can't mention yet. And so we kind of do all this different work and we do like 10 to 12 different things at once. And we don't do it because it's easy. We do it because like if one of them goes away, no one has to lose their job, right? There's yeah. like plenty of work to go around for everyone else. And so we want to be doing like, it's like when people start at IG, what I tell them is like, okay, if you're coming here and you have a game in your head that needs to get out, this is probably not the best place for you to be, right? Because, like, I'm not saying we're not going to make it. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm saying it's not a priority. Like, what's Mm -hmm. important here is making sure that this company is built to last and we're going to make robust decisions uh, around, like, you know, ensuring that other people's bad decisions or games' bad performances don't affect us in any way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. It's it's interesting because when you describe the business tech – of Iron Galaxy, it's like, well, yeah, that makes sense. Um, and then the next question is, well, why aren't more companies, more game companies, doing what Iron Galaxy does? And I assume the answer is probably because it's really hard. <laughs> well, it's weird. So there's, it's, there's, uh, it's a really complicated question. 
So there, there are people doing what we do. It's, I think it's just more rare that you know who we are than more so that people don't do what we do, right? Like, there's a bunch of companies out there who I think kind of followed in our footsteps and realized, like, oh, yeah, we can... Because, like, when we started this company, it was pretty common to pe- for people to think you can't outsource engineering, mm-hmm. you know? Like, they had just barely gotten used to outsourcing art, you know? Yeah. And, like, oh, no, engineering is too iterative and it's too collaborative and it'll never work. And then we kind of showed, yes, it can work. And so there's companies that do it like we do it now. And there's companies that have been doing ports longer than we've been doing them. It's just um, for a variety of reasons, we've kind of emerged from that group as, you know, one of the developers people know about more than others, right? So there are a bunch of people behind the scenes kind of doing this kind of work. It's just maybe they're not as uh, recognized as we are. Yeah. So I think when I was reading, doing my obligatory research into all of this... Um, the internet stalking. Let's just call it what stalking. it is. Yeah, yeah, okay. I was trying to put a spin, <laughs> but here we are. Um, so, it was, yeah, I was reading about how that's kind of the, the gist of your studio. What you do is a lot of, like, support for other projects and stuff like that. And that reminded me of... Um, Psionics, uh, Rocket League developers, did, yep. like, I watched, a, I think it was a no-clip documentary about them, and they were talking about how they did a similar kind of thing where they did, but theirs was more, they did a bunch of, like, helped other people with their projects to keep themselves afloat while they chased their dream projects. But that's kind of, like, a same starting point but different goal from what you guys are doing, right? Yeah, it's a subtle, like, I know the Psionics guys fairly well, um, Dave and the crew over there. Um, well, that's probably overstating it, but I know them. And we've talked, we've, we've talked <laughs> about this. Friends. And we've, we've talked about this stuff from time to time before Dave became a billionaire and doesn't talk to anyone anymore. <laughs> um, but the, uh, it's like, yeah, it's like, you know, they, I think one of the differences between us and other people that do this work, right, and one of the reasons I think we have kind of risen to the surface, is I think a lot of companies do the work we do to pay for the game they want to make, yeah. right? And as a result, that shows in the work they do, right? Maybe they don't have an even distribution of talent across all the projects. Maybe people that are on, you know, the support jobs or the port jobs are bitter they're not on the creative thing and they're kind of pissed off about that and they're not doing their best work or whatever it is. And that's just not what we do. Like here, everyone understands that every project's important. Everyone's work is important for ensuring the goal of you know, we're going to be here to fight another day no matter what, right? And so mm-hmm. I think that's one of the differences between us and almost everybody else. Um, you know, because they're looking to get that breakout hit and become financially independent. And like, you know, that would be great if it happened, but it's not a goal. Like, like the reason we do creative things at all is like one, it's like, yeah, it would be nice in like the 5% chance we have something that hits like, hey, now money's not really a cons- as much of a concern as it normally is. But really what it is, is we want, you know, diversity in partners and diversity in projects, you know, and platforms. Like, you never know, like, I'm not an analyst, right? I don't know which way the industry is going to go. But I do know if we have experience doing something, it's easier to get those kind of jobs in the future, right? Mm-hmm. And let's say like co-development dries up overnight. And then we need to become a studio that pitches more creative IP. Well, we've got experience doing that, right? Or whatever it is. So it's more like a strategic thing than like a, oh, I've got to make this game. Holy shit, is this my ambition in life is to make this thing. Yeah, yeah. And you're, uh, it, it seems that you have an opinion about uh, uh, like quality of life, job stability, things like that. And that was in- informed by your past experiences. So um, I'm wondering... From your perspective, do you think that quality of life in the game industry 
has gotten better or worse or stayed about the same over the past 15 years. Oh, it's definitely better. Mm-hmm. It's like it, it couldn't be, it couldn't be any worse than it was when I started. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I do want to clarify something. I do tend to talk about this a lot or get asked about this a lot. And I think one thing I kind of universally do a bad job at explaining, like, Iron Galaxy has not al- always been this, like, oasis where we don't crunch, sure. right? Like, in the beginning, I'd say the first three or four years or whatever, we all worked our asses off, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then at some point, I just kind of decided, like, you know what? Like, if this is the way it has to be, then it's kind of not worth doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't overnight, we, but we slowly kind of built a, cr- a culture of, like, no crunching and zero tolerance of that sort of thing. You know, some people still work hard, and some people still put in extra hours because they're passionate about stuff, but, like, it's something we try to monitor, and the company will never, ever ask anyone to work more than 40 a day. Like, with mm-hmm. the, the conversation I have with everybody mm-hmm. in the studio, it's like, listen, I, I don't need you to work 41 hours. I just need your best 40. And as long as you're giving me your best 40, like, that's all I care about, right? And so, uh, it's yeah, it's something I feel pretty strongly about now, um... And I think we've proven you can do it. Um, the hard part with creative projects and no crunch policy is as someone, you know, I talk a lot about like doing creative projects is like a strategic thing for us, but that doesn't mean we don't have people here that are like incredibly passionate about like making mm-hmm. Killer Instinct as good as it can be or whatever, right? Yeah. And a game can always be better, right? It's, it's, it can always, always be better. There's always something that can be better. And developers know what can be better you know, we're not blind. Like, we play the game, we see these problems. And so having the discipline to kind of, like, walk that line and take care of yourself while feel like you're doing your best work is very challenging on creative projects. And I think think the industry still sucks at it, but it's, like, through the lens of, like, wow, that's a really hard problem. Like, I'm not sure exactly uh, what the solution there long-term is. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, there you go, folks. There's no Dave doesn't have a solution for crunch. Yeah, and, weird, uh, right? Life balance. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, we our, our solution is we just don't do it, and yeah. we if a game is needs more time, uh, our solution isn't like make people work 80 hours a week. Our solution is go to our partner and get more time from them. Yeah. You know, um, but that's an imperfect solution too, right? That's like comes with its own perils. So, uh, yeah. How's that conversation tend to go when you reach out to a studio you're working with and you're like, hey, we need we need more time to do this. We can't do this in the amount of time in interest of keeping my, my staff happy and healthy. Yeah, I mean, generally speaking, it's gotten easier over the years as our partners have kind of gotten used to us and know the work we do and the quality we do. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been kind of like when we were just getting going, it would have been impossible, right? Um, yeah. And with some of the partners... I'm not going to name names. It would, like, literally, if we told them up front, like, hey, we're not going to crunch this project, like, we wouldn't get the gig, right? It's just, like, flat out, we just wouldn't get it. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, 11 years into this thing, everyone knows who we are. Everyone knows what we stand for. You know, the track record of our work with this policy kind of stands on its own merits. And either you care about that, you care about, like, making a good game, at, like, you know, uh, or you care about other things. And if you care about other things, they just don't call us. You know, mm-hmm. we have kind of like self-selected a client list um, of people that care first and foremost about game quality. And uh, it, because of that, those conversations are not nearly as hard as they would be otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, what port um, is, is there like a port that you're particularly uh, proud of? That yeah. Galaxy did? Yeah. I mean, it's still Street Fighter three, third strike online edition. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> without a doubt. Like 
the uh, that that was our first kind of like big quote unquote big break, um, and you know there was a bunch of hand wringing about some of the details about the game, like really really nitpicky stuff. Mm-hmm. But I just couldn't be prouder of the game we put out. It's kind of like our first effort and the response it received, and it's still kind of seen as like the gold standard of Capcom oh, yeah. fighting game ports. And uh, yeah, that's that's without a doubt the one I'm still proudest of. Yeah. So my partner, I mentioned that we were doing this interview uh, with you, and he's like, oh, holy shit, Third Strike. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. immediately, mm-hmm. without missing a beat. So yeah. Yeah. I've definitely got that. I still got that. Part. I played a crap load of that on uh, PlayStation 3 and still break it out every now and then if I want to get my ass handed to me. Yeah, it's by, so uh, weird. Yeah. Like, like you know, the, the version we did isn't in the Capcom or Street Fighter 30-year edition or whatever it was. Yeah. It's like a different version. And P- <laughs> it's like I, I, like, I know why Capcom did that, like... um but it's like just so weird that there's people out there playing a version of Third Strike that's not the one we did, so you, and, so and it's bad. <laughs> it's just really weird. Why, why did why didn't they include your version? I assume um, it's financially. Mm-hmm. There's financial reasons tied to it, is what I'm assuming. They never even called us and asked us about it. So that's weird. Yeah, I would. I like. Uh, I would assume it's some kind of financial. Like, they didn't want to engage with us because of cost reasons. Um, yeah. Is my assumption again? I didn't talk with anyone at Capcom about it, but yeah. I did find it pretty weird. So, yeah. Um, so, Iron Galaxy is in Chicago. Um, I I actually uh, we also, uh, we, also we, have, we have two studios. We have Chicago and Orlando. Oh yeah, that's right. Chicago. And, uh, yeah. what, where are you calling from? Are you in Chicago right now? Yeah, Chicago right now. Yeah. yeah. So I used to live in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Nice. And then we used to jump over there for. Uh, for Bears and Cubs games. Okay. Um, what's and I and I, I love Chicago. Um, like just the vibe there is like so good and my kind of vibe. What's the game dev scene like there? It's pretty not great, I would say. Okay. Um, and I think that's, I think among Chicago people that might be a contentious opinion, mm-hmm. but like you've got NetherRealm who's still here and making kick-ass games, yeah. right? Um, like MK and all the games Injustice, those games just keep getting better and better and better, and they're like the top of the craft in that stuff. Um, Shoutouts to them. Um, there's us. You know, there's people who've been around here forever, like High Voltage. Um, you know, then there's uh, a kind of indies that are kind of up and coming, right? Like you got Young Horses here, who yeah. did Octodad, and they're you know they're probably gonna start talking about their next game here really soon. Mm-hmm. You've got some you got a lot a lot of indie people kind of getting things going but it doesn't feel like it just doesn't feel like a game development hub to me you know like people don't come here for game development right people yeah. don't think about chicago like if you go to the random person and say hey give me your top 10 game development cities like i don't think most people name chicago right and so mm-hmm. uh i i think it's not great and i get it like the reason we opened the orlando studio is because it's not great here and recruiting is very hard. Like, we, you know, when we're recruiting people with experience, you know, they're usually coming from like a warmer climate um, yeah. or at least a coast or something, right? Yeah. And they have one of two reactions. They either think they're going to freeze to death or get shot the minute they get off the plane. Um, and so recruiting is really hard and the city, you know, there's not a lot of economic support from the city. Mm. And so if this is something like all those problems – you know the weather obviously you can talk to the crime you can talk to the crime is largely a myth um Mm -hmm. but really if you want people to start growing businesses here and like not move you know half the development studio to orlando then we need support from the local government that we're not getting Mm -hmm. yeah so how big are your studios in each city 
So we are about 140 people across both of them, mm-hmm. and it's about like 55, 45 Orlando right now. Yeah, that's so. uh, that's that's reasonably medium. Yeah, it's it's kind of yeah. it's again it's like one of those things too where that's weird like um, you know like we started in 2008 like a month before like the the global recession essentially, mm-hmm. and uh, while it made it impossible to get a loan for anything. It ended up like it's the reason we're probably still standing is because of that thing, and it's mm-hmm. like, uh, like it, like you, you talk about like cognitive biases, right? Like it'd be really easy in our position to have like survivor's bias, right? Yeah. To like, oh yeah, we must be we must be great because we're still here, mm-hmm. but like if you look at us, it's like one of the real reasons we're still here, and I believe this with all my hearts, and this is like no bullshit. Like when that recession hit, a lot of people started making fewer and fewer games every year. Right. Mm-hmm. And budgets got yeah. budgets kind of bifurcated budgets. They went smaller and bigger in the middle. It was it was already started drying up, but it just kind of disappeared altogether. Yeah, it, it, that totally the, the bottom fell out yeah. the, uh, of the middle. So then you just have like really big or small. Right. And so there were a bunch of developers at the time that are our size now that like had to scramble. They had to go to Facebook games or mobile games or go out of business altogether, right? Yeah. And so then when the economy kind of stabilized, there was this void of developers this size that do this kind of work. And it allowed us to kind of grow into that space uh, much easier than we would have otherwise, right? Because we didn't have to displace Mm -hmm. these 20 other veteran studios that have been doing it better longer than we've been doing it, right? And so Mm -hmm. um, it's really weird to think about, like, well, that was a really good thing for us, but I have no doubt it was at this point. Well, there's, like, the talent, like, when those, like, medium-sized studios, uh, medium-sized publishers close down, then you kind of have all of the talent. You you have a recruitment pool, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so, so there you have it. Uh, you benefited from the uh, the recession Ma- massively. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, that's so interesting. So, uh, when you're when you're talking about successes and failures at Iron Galaxy, uh, you know what what have you learned about what what players want and finding an audience? And I know that you do some. You know, a lot of your work has to do with you know studios themselves. Um, but I know that you know you do killer uh, killer instinct and you've commented i watched part of your gdc talk um and i'm just wondering if like you can speak to what you've learned about the audience the audience yeah it's it's interesting like the i still feel like we've got a lot to learn there frankly Mm -hmm. like i don't think like listening to the audience and being aware of their concerns is um like a skill we've fully developed at this point and uh, i think it's something we need to be better at but like generically you know it's like the it's really easy to engage with people that are saying things you agree with you mm-hmm. know and uh if there's people who are saying things like maybe they're maybe they're not even trolling or whatever they're just saying a view you disagree with it's really hard to have like, institutional discipline to interrogate that feedback in a, like a dispassionate way and say okay is there value here or not right yeah um cuz it's so easy to dismiss Twitter feedback. It's so easy to dismiss forum feedback because so much of it is just horrible, right? Yeah. And I think that is something we need to be better at and we need to figure out like how do we actually interrogate some of these notions um, in a dispassionate way because I think our knee-jerk response is, oh, just just ignore it all, right? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. It's a really, really difficult problem um, because you should ignore most of it because most yeah. of it sucks. Um, yeah. <laughs> But, like, that doesn't mean there's nothing out there that's valuable or good. 
And, uh, you know, for a, when we were a certain size, like I remember with Third Strike, you know, we, I'd get a handful of emails a week from people who were passionate about Third Strike, and, not, and a lot of them were nasty. But then nine times out of ten, I'd engage with the person and be like, hey, listen, if you're going to talk to me like that, I'm not going to continue this conversation. But if you want to have, a, like, a discourse about, like, how do we make this game better, okay, let's do that. Nine times out of ten, those people respond with, I'm sorry. I didn't, <laughs> think, I, I didn't think anyone would even read this thing. Like, but here's the problems I see them, and they were really good, right? And now the, yeah. the, pro- the problem is, like, we're to the size and scale. Like, with Killer Instinct, we just couldn't do that, right? There's, like, too many people. No. And yeah. I feel like that's a valuable job, though. Yeah, like, Twitter is more prolific, too. I mean, you can't, yeah. you know, have that conversation. Like, <laughs> nowadays, they say, like, look, you're being a jerk, and then they'll just come right back. It's like, well, you know, fuck you anyway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Quote, tweet you, put you on blast. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, people used to be, I remember that, because, like, if people would say, like, mail me something, like, nasty, and then I mail them back, it's like, surprise! <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> surprise, motherfucker! <laughs> like, this is a person! And then they're like, they would back off immediately, but I don't think it's like that anymore. <laughs> yeah. That's actually, I think, one of the best things about my Twitter persona is mm-hmm. like I've cultivated uh, 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 like a, a view of myself from people mm-hmm. that is impervious to trolling. Mm-hmm. Like, like who is going to send something nasty to me? Like, I said, I put so many stupider things out than you could ever tweet at me every day. Like, there's nothing you can do to get to me. It's like impossible. And tr- like, I've been trolling myself this whole time. Right, you can't exactly. Do anything you can't. Well, like, you turns can't out do I'm anything. dumber than you are. As it turns out, ha ha ha! Jokes on you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah you just self-deprecate yourself into uh, like <laughs> invincibility. Yeah, it's it's worked out inadvertently well. Yeah, like like many things in my life. <laughs> Um, I, uh, we're, we're probably getting close to uh, wrap up time, but we need to hit, we need to hit a couple things here. I think like, um, I'm not really caught up with, there's a thing with you and wind jammers and Adam, uh, boys, I think, or what, what is, what's the story there? So wind jammers, I, um, was, this is not my finest moment. Um, okay. it was, a, Go on. it was like, I want to say like maybe six GDCs ago. Uh-huh. Uh, I was day drinking, and then I remembered I was supposed to be on the giant bomb stream that mm-hmm. night, and I got on the stream and I was blasted. <laughs> I was out of my freaking mind, gone. I should not this, have been on. This uh, is friend, a no. This is a no judgment zone. We've we've all done stuff like this. Friend, so. Friends, friends should have stopped me from going on, but so Vinyaki knew we had Killer Instinct um, mm-hmm. signed. But we were announcing it, like, the Tuesday. We had a big, like, exclusive in Polygon that was dropping Tuesday after GDC. <laughs> and so, um, but he, because he, he's a really, he's a, he's a good friend, quote-unquote, he was <laughs> trying to get me to, like, ruin all that and spill the beans on the giant bomb thing. He goes, <laughs> he goes Dave, I hear uh, you've got a big announcement to make. And luckily, if, by the way, this should cement to all, like, as embarrassing as that show was for me, like, if you have a doubt I can keep a secret, look at that fucking stream. <laughs> like, because I, I, I just, without a beat, I, like, I look at the camera, I go, yes, I have an announcement to make. You'll never have another Windjammers. Because <laughs> okay. uh, Giant Bomb at the time had been playing a lot of Windjammers. It was something that was a staple on their, like, Friday show they'd play it live. And yeah. I don't hate Windjammers. I've never even played Windjammers. I don't care. <laughs> I thought it was a funny thing to say. And then from that moment on, I was the guy who hates Windjammers. That's a very <laughs> random game to choose yeah and so uh, very well that might kind of like as i mentioned i was hammered um 
And so, yeah, and so that, from that point on, I became, like, Dave Lang professional Windjammer hater. Yeah, I know. I was reading rumors, like, you owned the, the Windjammer's property. Yeah, so, so I, I was keeping it under wraps so no one else could ever enjoy it again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, there, that, there's another yeah. Windjammer's coming out. Did you, like, will that into existence somehow by just being like, no, so much that Windjammer's 2 just... It's pretty funny how that Windjammer stuff goes, because, like, every time there's a Windjammer's trailer for 2 or an announcement for 2 or whatever, like, people tweet at me, like, ha-ha, you were wrong. I'm like, hey, it's not, it's not out yet. Also, it's not out yet. Like, uh, yeah. So I think also uh, we have to have you and Alyssa talk on, on air about, about Hitman. So let's just yes. open the floor for any uh, Hitman map conversation or... or uh, uh, there was do? the moment when we were doing our stalking, I uh, had a podcast there again, where... I have already established I have a bad time linking names and, like, what people have done. I, it takes me a second to, like, connect those dots. Uh, and I was just literally, like, sitting at my desk. I'm like, holy shit, he's the guy who made the Hitman list. Uh, because I had discussed that in Slack recently. Because so. for Giant Bomb, uh, your end-of-the-year list uh, this last year, you ranked uh, the Hitman maps in 2016 too. Yeah, I've been doing that Giant Bomb list for almost a decade now. And as I've kind of this company's gotten bigger and bigger, I have fewer and fewer time to play games. And so, like I, de- I, like, I literally didn't play 10 games I liked last year, right? And so, yeah. I can't do, like, a top 10 list. And so, I just come up with, like, hopefully creative, original things to do every year. And people seem to like that list. It seemed to go over pretty well. So, yeah. It was, it was a good list. Yeah. I only, like, uh, I was going to disagree with it, and then I get to the bottom, and you're like, oh, there's no such thing as a bad Hitman map. And I'm like, oh, you're right. Yeah, there's, there's only some that are better than others. Yeah. 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 Colorado uh, was, Colorado's one of the... Okay, not to get too <laughs> like fan about Hitman uh, talking here, but like Colorado for the long longest time was like my least favorite yeah, uh, yeah, Hitman yeah. map, and then uh, that was going through it the first time when I'm still like learning the magic of the game and kind of those all those systems you memorize and all the steps you memorize and the weird little ways that you can interact with NPCs that you figured out to kind of like gain the system, um, and then going back like Colorado is an entirely different experience once you have that little bit of knowledge under your belt under your belt. Yeah, my personal Colorado story is filled with tragedy and heartbreak. Um, yes, yes. So the, the way Colorado goes is there's three targets, right? And then there is a, a secret door with, like, a facial scanner in the basement of one of the houses. And you need to build, like, a 3D print a mask to get into that door, right? Mm-hmm. And so, but the, you th- the mask is of someone you killed. And I didn't know about the mask bit. And so I killed the guy on the other side of the map. Uh-huh. And I st- carried him s- stealth mode all the way. I was going to, like, hold his face up to the door. <laughs> and so I played that map for two freaking hours, and I hauled from the cornfields all the way into the house without being seen. <laughs> Herculean task, and I get to the door, and there's no freaking prompt. And I was so <laughs> mad. I was just getting angry just thinking about it. I'm like, how? If this isn't even the way you do it, how is this not, like, scripted? Ah, oh, this is the worst game of all time. And I put Hitman down for a little bit, and I came back, and like, yeah, Colorado, um, it, it was, at that point, it was the worst map by far, but oh, subsequently... it's so brilliant, though, if that worked. <laughs> yeah. I feel like, I, I might be wrong, but I thought I read that that worked, so I don't know if they patched that in eventually, or I could be just making something up right now. Maybe, they, maybe um, IO Interactive heard Dave's story. Oh. I've, I've talked like about it enough places, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. 
I mean, if they they kept the suitcase uh, or the briefcase with the the homing, the falling, yeah, yeah the, the homing briefcase, where if you throw it, it'll it's not quite as fast, or it's a little bit faster than the run speed of the NPCs. So they'll start sprinting away from it, and it'll track them and follow them and fly through the air. And they like instead of patching that out as a bug, they like double down on it. Which is I was great. Yeah, the best, the be- one of the best gifts in Hitman in recent yeah. times is the guy throwing the briefcase at the guy in the jet ski. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and the briefcase just like troll f- holding missileing <laughs> the guy in the jet ski. Amazing. Yeah. Yep. Um, I think uh, oh, I forget who the level designer was, but she gave a talk at GDC last year and talked about kind of like the different. Um, kinds of like level of spaces they designed in a hitman level and like color coded everything and broke broke it down it's a really great talk not sure if it's on the youtube vault but it's out there and you should really watch it or read my live tweets or my article about it but yeah. um there's also a great no clip documentary on hitman as well. yes yes yeah. yes yes Re- watch all this material about hitman um but she was talking about uh colorado and what made it different and why people didn't like it so much is because in hitman games you typically have your two spaces in level design um, or like on the broader category where they're these social stealth places where you can walk around normally and as long as you don't do anything inherently illegal, no one's going to get pissed at you. And these more secure spaces where it's like this is a trespassing zone, there's armed guards, and like once you're in this spot, you have to be stealthy or you have to blend in. Um, and Colorado is all that second space, which made it so difficult because there's no like safe place. Yeah, getting started. You got to get that first yeah. outfit and then, yeah. It's so difficult and such a different kind of like level design, but like even that, when you play enough of the game and you go back to it, really shines as a I don't know level design in Hitman is so good. I could talk about it forever. Yeah, I mean they're geniuses. Like uh, I have obviously things I like or don't like about the map. Like my personal take on mo- why most of the three target maps aren't as good as the other maps uh, mm-hmm. is because like they have the same amount of like set pieces as the the two or one target maps. But they're spread across three targets. And so killing everyone is just kind of inherently, there's less interesting and less variety ways to do it. Mm -hmm. And so um, it's just kind of just not as good. And it's like, you know, I would love, love, love to go to IO one day and just kind of sit with people and just talk about it and chop it up just as a fan because that would be super fun. (laughs) Uh, Oh, but they like, it's another interesting thing is like on the the basic level because the the multi-target ones can feel like three different games to like a lower level person. But then you watch like someone who speedruns the game play it and they'll set this up while running and, like, with one hand tied behind their back and, like, hit a button at the exit, all three die at the same time and they leave. And, like, I don't know, it's just designing a game that can take that level of variance. It's just very interesting. And we should talk about other things that are Hitman. No, I apologize. No, I'm just going to let it go. Keep going. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is a good um, uh, way to good, – good place to stop and a good way to stop, I think. This was lovely. Thank you so much, Dave. Really appreciate you taking time. I know you're a busy man. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was fun. And we are back. Well, how about that dog launch? Dave Blank? Da, 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 yep. Yeah. <laughs> I can't even. I tried to deliberately mispronounce it. And my mouth is like no. Yeah. Yeah. The the brain mouth connection is uh, is melting with Alyssa. Yeah. Or Alice. I'm just gonna rebrand my entire. That's really gonna confuse me. If you <laughs> keep on saying that, and it's gonna be just like, oh, you can't even like get the name of like the you know the woman on your staff right. <sighs> 
This is all. It's just like it's not quite gaslighting, but I'm all. I'm just setting you up for failure. It's, it's <laughs> the long con. That's all right. I like a challenge. <laughs> so, so the, the day of conversation that was that was good. That was one of the like one of the most fun podcasts that we've done yet. I think all our podcasts have been equally fun. They've been people we've interviewed. Some of them have been. Let's be honest. Some of them have been better than others. Yeah. Last month's when I wasn't here. Uh, I, no, I haven't listened to it. I'm sure it was great. Oh, yeah. That one was great. Yeah, that one was good. No, all of our guests, uh, we uh, they are equally loved by us. Um, we play no favorites. Um, <laughs> but, but that was a good, that was a really good chat. Yeah. I like just starting out just like, you know, uh, just talking about random stuff. Um, yeah. Like Gabriel Knight and uh, Roberto Williams. Uh... Your... <laughs> favorite i'm gonna lose sleep over that one i'm so sorry <laughs> no that's all right if she listens to this ever i am so sorry yeah she's not <laughs> i don't think you have anything to worry about there um yeah it's it's cool talking to uh um someone who's been in the game industry for a long time and like you know a lot this is a young industry so uh it's kind of uh, i don't know i'm trying to i'm trying not to sound ageist here <laughs> <laughs> Dave's older it, than the youngins that we've had on before. I'm 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 somewhere right in the middle between Dave and 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 the younger people who have accomplished more than I ever. So we've had a good like a career. Uh, career representation yeah. throughout our trajectory so far. So that's great. Yeah. Um but no it is always really wonderful to hear those conversations about like the old days of the industry. And like how things were way back then with certain companies that maybe don't exist anymore or maybe have like gone on to a completely different image or something like yeah. that. It's funny because it's not even like it's the, you say the, the old days, but it does. I mean, it was like 2003. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, but it, it does feel like that because things move so quickly in the industry, I feel like. And it's, you know, at times volatile. <laughs> yeah. And I, I love how. It's kind of like I I did report pretty extensively like earlier on in my career on Midway. Mm-hmm. So to have somebody that was there, you know, during that time in the 2000s, I love how he was just like, OK, what kind of interesting story do you want to hear about Midway? And then I'm like, hmm, mafia. And then it's just like, OK, well, <laughs> uh, did you know going into that that there was a mafia story or yeah. was that just a, yeah, I, okay, I knew okay. I knew that like there was had this rumored like background. But that's just hilarious. The I was sandwich sitting here guy. like slack jawed the whole time being like, what's going on? <laughs> I like the sandwich guy just going. That's a real nice family business they got going on over there. huh? <laughs> eh? <laughs> I could picture that scene in my mind as he was saying it. Yeah, young, uh, impressionable Dave going in to get his meatball sub. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's also like nice to hear the uh, like the the issues that studios still face in the industry against like how it was twenty fifteen twenty years ago. Yeah, with like and those are still issues. If they're more of an issue, less of an issue with like crunch and like how it, he said it's gotten like that kind of awareness has gotten better about mm-hmm. the same. Yeah. Yeah. It was a good. whole hour ago. I don't remember what exactly oh, the no, word he said was. That, no, uh, Dave said that um, the uh, work-life balance and uh, quality of life in the game industry has, has gotten, you know, undeniably better. Yeah. Which yeah. is a nice perspective to kind of like reflect on because it's easy to get caught in like the moment to moment issues, which are still important and should be focused on. But mm-hmm. like the larger scheme of things, it's also good to have that. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm glad that at least one person benefited from uh, everyone's loss during the recession. So (laughs) (laughs) 
but but it's true though that's like that's interesting like what he was saying because there was there was speculation at that time because you had like thq going out of business midway was Mm -hmm. one of them and really just the middle falling out of the industry and that like impacted so many things like even games media it it impacted that Mm -hmm. you know these are publishers that would pay for advertisements um and so that recession it had this ripple effect but there was also talk about you know well now there's all this talent that's out there so then you see people either leave the industry or they found you know iron galaxy you know and and then the people who still want to work in the industry you know, there's a, a talent pool now, you know, and they go and either found their own stuff or uh, or go to work on on startups. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like making the best of a bad situation, but in like a really unique way. Um, but I don't the entire like studio structure of uh, Iron Galaxy is just really interesting because like, yeah, you hear about like studios that do make their make their bank doing like support work for mm-hmm. other games. And they're not the ones that you hear. They're not like the blank game by blank studio that's not the headline yeah um but the work they do is really important and he employs 140 people at that company which is like way larger than i thought that was before reading about any Mm -hmm. of that at two locations yeah and just like highlighting the importance of like that kind of work and the value of that work and like the place that that has yeah it was a really nice part of the conversation yeah they are the unsung heroes of game development and uh and you know and, and we can we can kind of end on this uh but the uh the job stability making that the goal is super interesting to mm-hmm. me you know and that's not as glamorous you know as saying i have this idea you know and then yeah. and then you execute and then it becomes a hit you know a tiny fraction uh, of you have like that success happens to people yeah you have more like more studios kind of like going for the same kind of thing like indies mm-hmm. will like uh, a lot of co-ops lately it's been talked about like more and more where like uh, the, the, the team owns the studio and kind mm. of getting job security and putting employees first that way. Yeah. And then Iron Galaxy is like a different, it's the same idea, but a completely different path for that. And just like seeing how those both work. Yeah. So there we go. You don't always have to be uh, the next John Blow. <laughs> <laughs> I want to oh, be the next good. Dave Lang, honestly. Yeah. I, I don't know. I have to you, get a little. You, you, you program or yeah. what? Yeah. We'll have to get a little uh, taller and a little more Caucasian, um, <laughs> but I think I could do. It. <laughs> it's important to dream big. <laughs> All right, that's it. So check us out on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and uh, someday we'll we'll upload some more of these to YouTube. But we've got a couple of them up there right now. Uh, just don't read the comments. Um, but <laughs> if you like what you heard, you know, like and subscribe. We would love to have you. And uh, that's all for this month. Thanks, Alyssa. Cool. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.